Amen. Let's have our seats. Welcome to the last Sunday of November. In a little time, we'll start telling ourselves Happy New Year again. In a very short while. December goes by really fast. <laughs> it's one of the fastest months in the year. Um, shall we pray? Our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for today. We bless your holy name. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you've wrought in today's service so far. Father, we ask that as we go into your word, that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Teach us the things that we need to learn today in Jesus' name. For it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Today we're going to be speaking on a subject or topic that I have titled Principles of Obedience. Principles of Obedience. What does it mean to obey God? What does it mean to obey God? How can you be sure? that you are obeying God? How can you be sure that the things that are in your life or the, um, the patterns that exist in your life, the actions that you take, the things that you do are in alliance to what God wants for you as an individual? Last week, I spoke on the ingredients of faith. And one of the things I said when I started that topic was that I learned the difference between definition and description, right? And for most things in Scripture, most principles in Scripture, you would find that the verse or the verses that talk about that thing are not the only verses or verses or chapters rather that have that principle or that subject matter. For example, if you want to speak on faith like we did last week, we will talk about the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and a bit of Romans chapter 10 as well. But those are not the only verses of scripture that have faith ingrained in them. You find faith in the entire Bible. When people want to teach about love, they most likely will go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul speaks about love. But though that's not the only chapter of the Bible that has love in it. Love can be found throughout the Bible, as long as you understand what love is. And it's the same with obedience. So today, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And from Daniel, chapter 1, we are going to see a man and his friends take a decision. And we will find out how that decision teaches us some principles of obedience. I read 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with parts of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asphenaz, the master of his eunuchs, as he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and in knowledge and understanding science and had such and such has had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, unto Ananias Shadrach, and to Mishael Meshach, and unto Azariah Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort. Then shall he make me endanger my head to the king. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. And Daniel said to Melza, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Paul's hair signifies legumes, so things like beans and soy. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that, that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. Verse 14. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them Ten days, and at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then Melza took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all vision and dreams. Now, at the end of days, that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found, 
Among them all was found none like Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, therefore stood before who? The king. That's 1 to 19. We'll stop there. In this entire passage of scripture, you would find that it's a simple story. And if you grew up in the church, and you probably went to teenage Sunday school, Daniel 1.8 is probably one of the memory verses you know in this life. And Daniel proposed in his heart not to defile himself for the king's meat. It's one of those verses that I used to cheat with and draw your sword, because I knew it in my head. So my Bible might be open to Hezekiah or Nehemiah or Habakkuk or Zephaniah or something. But as soon as I open the Bible, Daniel 1 8, I just read it. <laughs> or pretend like I'm reading it, but I know the verse in my head. But there are things that happened here. There are things that led to verse 8. And there are things that happened after verse 8 that I want us to look at and talk about today. There are principles of obedience. The first principle I want to speak about today is the principle of identity. The principle of identity. This book did not start without the writer who is the principal character in this book, Daniel. It didn't start without the writer first letting you know what had happened and who they were. So who was Daniel? Daniel was an Israelite, but Daniel was not just an Israelite. Daniel was a prince. He was of the king's seed. Now, if you go back to the book of Kings, second Kings specifically, when different kings were ruling Israel, there was a king named Hezekiah who found favor before the Lord. He was one of the few that ruled Judah that was a good king. And back then in Israel and Judah, the, the amount of good kings they had were very few. So the ones that were actually good and obeyed God, you remember them. Hezekiah was one of those. And towards the end of his life, a prophet came to give him a prophecy that at some point in the future, his children, his descendants, would be taken on exile to Babylon. He told him this years ago. This thing didn't happen in the time of Hezekiah. It happened in the time of Jehoiakim. And just as it has been prophesied, princes and people from kings, the king's lineage, were taken from Israel to Babylon. And Daniel was one of these people. The reason why it is important to mention this is because Daniel was someone who knew who he was. He wasn't just from the stock of Israel. He was from what? The tribe of Judah. And he was a prince. He's the one writing here. And he would not say these things about himself if he was not aware that this is where I am coming from. And every other thing that happened to Daniel in this entire book, and particularly this chapter that we are reading, 
is built on the foundation of that identity that he has. The fact that he knows that he is an Israelite, he belongs to the nation that was chosen by God Almighty. That he belongs to the nation that was set apart by God himself. And he's a prince of that nation. He might not be sitting on a throne in that moment. But he's not just a citizen. He's royalty. Why does this matter to us as believers? Because also as believers, what builds the foundation of our obedience to God is our recognition of who we are in Christ. Anybody that does not know who he is or who she is in Christ would have a lot of difficulty obeying God. The person would not be able to obey God, do the will of God. There are Christians that have not yet come to understand what it means to be a Christian. They might have made the decision to believe in Jesus and give their life to him. But they don't yet know what it means to be Christian. They don't know what it means to be in the kingdom of God. They don't know what it means when Jesus has assured us that he has made us kings and priests. They don't know what it means to be part of this beautiful family and this wonderful kingdom that we call the kingdom of heaven on this earth. They are still living like paupers. And because they are living like paupers, they also do not realize that just like Daniel was in a foreign land called Babylon, for their stay on this earth, they are also in foreign territory. They don't know this. And that brings me to the second principle, which is the principle of knowledge. In this passage that we just read, how many of you notice that Daniel did not specifically tell us why he chose not to eat of the king's meat and drink of his wine. He didn't give that information literally. Did we read it there? No, it wasn't stated. The writer expects the readers to know because he has already told us why, even without telling us why. He had told us that when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, that he took the things from the temple and took those things to the house of his God. And he mentioned the name of the God called what? Shina. And Daniel is writing to people who he expects to know that what? That for every food that the king will eat and for everything that the king will drink, that food will first be taken to Shina, to the altar of Shina, to be dedicated there. It is when the food has been properly dedicated in that place that it is now brought for the king to eat. 
Daniel was aware of this. He had this knowledge. And it was from this standpoint that he took the stand that he took. My question is this, though. Apart from Daniel and his friends, there were other Israelites there. They were not the only princes that were there. They were not the only ones that came from the royal line. It's impossible. They're not. So how come they were the only ones that were able to make this decision? And you know the interesting thing? One of the criteria that Nebuchadnezzar gave for choosing these princes was what? He said, those that have understanding, those that have wisdom, those that have what? Knowledge, those that understand science, those that understand are quick to learn so that we can teach them our ways. What this shows you is that the standard of knowledge and wisdom of the world is very different from the standard and knowledge and wisdom of God and his kingdom. Those were the standards that Nebuchadnezzar gave, but out of all the princes that existed there, only Daniel and his friends had the discernment to know that this thing has been sacrificed to idols. If this thing has been sacrificed to idols, it goes against what God has instructed us to do. So we cannot partake of this. And in the same vein, a lot of times, the reason why Christians have difficulty in obeying God is because they treat their Bible as a rule book. They do not treat the Christian life as a lifestyle in which they allow the Holy Spirit to give them discernment. You see people asking specific questions about, oh, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Almost like they are trying to look for a loophole to live however they want to live. So if they don't see it clearly stated in the Bible, the same way Daniel did not clearly tell us why he was avoiding this food. They're like, okay, and it's not in the Bible now. There are some things that never existed when the Bible was written. But it doesn't make it right for Christians to do them. Those things didn't exist then. Because we didn't have this technology then. And cultures have changed over the decades and over generations. But any Christian that does not have knowledge of where he is, any Christian that is unable to identify what it means to be passing through a foreign land, a foreign land that has been dedicated to foreign gods, the same way Daniel was in a foreign land that had its own gods and systems. Any Christian that cannot identify that, I am a Christian living in a world that is being ruled by systems that are anti-God. Everywhere I turn, there is an action there are things that would naturally want me to go against the things that I claim to believe in. Because that is the state of the world. 
I am in Babylon. And any Christian that does not know this, that does not have this knowledge that Daniel had, that does not have the spirit of discernment in him through the Holy Spirit, cannot obey God. And there are Christians who have been in church for years and they are still treating their Bible like a book of do's and don'ts. Like a constitution. Forgetting that it is not the letter that gives life. It's the spirit. The letter kills. If you read the Bible as it is, if an unbeliever picks up this Bible, he can find a defense for anything that he does in this Bible. He will tell you that after all, Abraham had how many wives? One wife and one concubine. And if you go too far, he will now give you the example of Jacob, the one that started the race of Israel that you claim to believe in. How many did they give him? Two. Then he had two extra from the handsmaids. There is nothing that a person wants to defend in their life that they will not find a defense for in this book but they will be interpreting this book out of context because the letter kills. It's only the Spirit of God that can give you true discernment into what God's will is. And that's the principle of knowledge because you have to know. You have to have awareness of where you are. This was what Daniel and his friends had. That the rest of the princes that went with them did not have. The third principle is the principle of sacrifice. And when I was preparing this and I got to this principle, I remembered that when Saul was dealing with um, Samuel, one of the things that Samuel told Saul after he had disobeyed God is to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So why am I saying the principle of sacrifice? This sacrifice I'm talking about is different from the sacrifice that Saul made. But what Samuel was telling Saul is that depriving yourself of whatever it takes to be faithful to God's instruction is better and more important and has more value than any external form of, in quote, allegiance to God that you can make. Because the truth is, every act of obedience will take some sacrifice. It's not just sacrifice that you might, able to, you might be able to quantify externally. You cannot obey God without losing something. You can't without losing something. In economics, they have, this, they, they have this principle called opportunity cost. And opportunity cost essentially is the value of the alternative that you left out. The alternative for God. That's opportunity cost. And you can't obey God and it doesn't cost you something. And you don't miss out on something. You have to sacrifice something. But human beings would rather, like Saul, even believers, sadly, 
would rather like Saul make a public allegiance to God. Anybody that saw Saul making that sacrifice that day that has no discernment, that does not know that Saul is not supposed to be making this sacrifice. This is Samuel's job. Samuel is the only person that can make this sacrifice because that is how God has ordained it. Anyone that does not have discernment and is in the crowd that day will say, eh, Samuel was delaying and Saul loves God so much that he decided to take it upon himself because Israel was losing the battle. The battle was taking too long and Israel will have lost. So, I mean, Saul took initiative and he decided to make the sacrifice himself. But God is not looking at the outside. God is looking at the heart. So that external allegiance to God that people might see and clap for is very different from the state of Saul's heart, which had no obedience because Saul could not stand and say, even if we lose this battle, this is God's instruction, and I would wait. And that's what Daniel did here. Do you think... Think about it practically. Because you, we eat food now. Do you know what it means? You know the fact that the, the Bible writes meat and wine is a summary. The king doesn't just eat meat and wine. That's not it. Meat just signifies the food. Wine signifies the wine and the drinks, other drinks that might be made available. Babylon was the most prosperous nation in the world at that time. Nebuchadnezzar was a very wealthy king. Do you seriously believe that when he wants to eat, there isn't a platter on the table of different things? Do you know what it means to live for three years in a nation where your fellow brothers self are telling you, like, Daniel, this thing that you are doing, <laughs> this thing that you people have decided to do, I mean, it's okay if you say you are doing it for one week. It's okay if you say you are doing it for two weeks. One month, okay. Don't you think at like month 11, somebody has not come to meet them and say, okay, how far? Like, rest now. <laughs> come and eat. The food is wasting. Do you know what it means to live like that for three years? It takes some amount of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. To stand for the right thing. And the fourth thing I want to speak about, which is closely related to this, is the principle of association. When we read Daniel 1.8, what we read is what and Daniel proposed in his heart. Daniel does not tell us anything about the heart of the remaining three that actually joined him. The only person's heart that we know about is Daniel's. But what we can infer is that their relationship with Daniel enabled them to strengthen one another. And in the future of their lives, they also met, they also met some tests that they had to go through alone without Daniel. Daniel was not involved when they were thrown in the furnace. But this event was the precursor it was the first one. Christians undermine and underestimate the power of association. Association can make you and it can destroy you. Godly associations 
can make you ungodly associations, even if the person says he goes to church and is a Christian, can destroy you. If that person does not understand the stand that you are taking, and the person sees no value in that stand, then that person can take you away from where you are. Because like I said, there were other princes in Babylon. They all came from the same nation. In the same way, many people will profess to be Christians today. But this decision that Daniel made, he made it alone with three people. And nobody else stood with them. We have to be careful. And we have to mind the associations that we have. The fifth principle I'm going to speak about is the principle of character. And I want to read verse 9. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. This is very similar to the life and the story of Joseph where everywhere Joseph went, he found favor. You see, this is something that God is always willing to do with his children. But one of the things that can get in the way of God doing this in your life is your character. For Daniel to be able to achieve what he wants to achieve by taking this stand, because remember, he is an exile. The fact that he believes that this thing is wrong is not enough to enable him what? Take this stand. After all, is he the one serving himself food? No. He's not the one going into the kitchen. He's not the one responsible for the feeding. So, even after he has decided not to, something else still needed to happen. And those are some of the things that we are going to speak about from this point. And the first thing is, it is evident in the life of Daniel that as much as God had favored him, he found favor with other people because of the kind of person that he was. As believers, never think or believe that having an abrasive personality or rebuffing people at your office or at your school or at your workplace is a sign of Christianity. You will now come back and say, eh, they are persecuting me. That's not the persecution of the Bible. Never believe that having some character flaws and not dealing with them and using speaking in tongues and quoting scriptures to cover it up then when some things happen to you outside, you say, and Jesus said you will be persecuted. You are deceiving yourself. That's not how it works. God is ready to release favor on your life with the places that you go. That you go. The Bible says that he will cause your enemies to be at peace with you. That he will give you favor in situations, but your character is important. Let him 
God break all those things in your life that will take people away from you and drive them from your life. It's important. Letting God take away all the things that will stop his love from shining through for the world to see. And not everybody will be accepting of that love, but it will be love. And it will attract some people. Never deceive yourself into believing that, oh, if everybody in a place does not like you, that the problem is with them. The problem is with you. It can't be everyone. God does not leave his children without allies, without help, without people that will stand by them in different situations, even when the world says they are not going to stand by them. God will always walk through people at different phases of your life. But your character can push them away. I'm studying the book of Acts and I'm going through Paul's different arrests. And for everywhere that Paul moves to, God will raise up somebody that will warn him and say, they're about to kill you. You might not see the person again in the whole story. That person has done his own job and the person moves on and God takes Paul somewhere else. But imagine if they come and tell Paul and Paul now starts telling them, how dare you, if they want to kill me, God will come and tell me himself. When did you become a Christian? When did God start talking to you? There are Christians like that. It might sound funny, but there are. And Paul will tell him, when did you enter this gospel that you are coming to tell me that you are coming to kill me? If they are coming to kill me, won't Jesus come and tell me himself, have you seen Jesus? I've seen him. I've seen him. <laughs> Character. It's important. Because if Daniel had an abrasive character, if Daniel was the kind of person that had some of the issues we are discussing today, Daniel would not have been able to get out of this situation even if he knew that what it was wrong to eat this food. And that brings us to the next principle, which is the principle of wisdom. So Daniel didn't simply go to the man and tell the man, this is wrong. And you know that's what a lot of people do. The Bible tells us about Jesus, that there's nobody that came to Jesus, that Jesus did not have the right word for. The Bible says that they could not find any fault in him. They could not hold him on anything that he said. Because every single time they came to ask him a question that would trap him, or they came to do something that would basically put him in a cage, through wisdom, Jesus will find a way out and deal with the situation. The Bible tells us also of Paul, like I've been speaking, and Paul got arrested and he was before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council of the Jews. And Paul recognized through the wisdom of God that they are divided into two major sects, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. They believe in spiritual things. And the Sadducees do not believe in spiritual things. The Sadducees believe that life ends here. They don't believe in angels, they don't believe in demons, they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in anything. 
And the Bible says that as Paul was before them, he perceived that they were divided into two. So what did he do? The wisdom that God gave them, gave him. Paul just went there and said that he's been arrested because he believes in the resurrection. He's not lying. It's just that the resurrection he believes in is different from the resurrection the Pharisees are waiting for. He believes in the resurrection of who? Jesus Christ. And he went there and he said he believes in the resurrection and that's why he's being brought before this council because he believes. And immediately he said that. The Pharisees shouted and said, this man has done no wrong. Let him go. <laughs> and the Sadducees said he's a lie. He has done wrong. And that's how they started fighting themselves. And the commander came and took Paul away from that situation. And that's how he escaped them. Wisdom. Daniel didn't go and meet the captain of this, the Babylonians and say, you see, your God is an idol. <laughs> I worship the one true God. He didn't go and say that, did he? And a lot of times when Christians are faced with some situations, how they get out of God's will and they get into trouble is because they don't have wisdom. They don't have wisdom. It's not every situation that is confrontation. It's not every situation that you enter and you break the door. It doesn't work that way. So God gave Daniel wisdom, and what did he do? He went and told him, okay, try us for 10 days and see the results. Because he went there and the guy said, you want the king to cut off my head? That at the end of these three years, he will now see that you, you are looking malnourished and the rest of your brothers are looking, looking good and fit and everything. And the king will now ask, what happened to this one? What will I tell him that was feeding you beans and water? The king will ask, is it that food is, there's no food? So what did he do? Daniel went and said, try us for 10 days. Try us for 10 days. He said, try us for 10 days and see what happens. That's wisdom. What else will you call it if not wisdom? He said, try us for 10 days. And that brings us to the next principle, which is the principle of faith. And we spoke about faith last week. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it today, but everything we spoke about in the ingredients of faith are present in this action that Daniel took. Because Daniel did not exactly know what was going to happen after 10 days. What Daniel simply believed is that by the end of the 10 days, they would get the permission to continue living on what? On beans, on legumes, and water. It's not like Daniel had decided and planned that, okay, at the end of 10 days, they will look fatter and fairer than their contemporaries. He didn't know that. That was just the result. Daniel's simple belief is, we do this, and when we do this, he believed completely that he will be given the opportunity to obey his God. And it was so. Because 10 days later, when he saw them, when the captain saw them, he said, okay, like, I have my proof. You can continue living how you want to live. And 
he continued feeding the rest to the king's meat. And when it comes to obeying God, there is no way you will not have to exercise your faith. You can't escape it. You will exercise your faith on issues because there will be obstacles that want to prevent you from taking that step of obedience. And the last principle I want to speak about today is the principle of rewards. The Bible says in Isaiah 119, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you will reap the fruit of the land. In verse 17, the Bible says that, in Daniel 117, it says, and for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Do not be deceived. Don't let anyone make you feel like when you speak about or when you are thinking about the rewards for anything that has to do with the Christian life, that you're out of God's will. God expects you to think about the rewards. If the rewards do not exist, he won't tell you about them. And not just on this principle of obedience. The rewards for this Christian life, when we leave this earth, when we meet with Jesus and he's going to give us rewards, if we're not supposed to know it and we're not supposed to be expectant of it, then why is he telling us? Why is he telling us he goes to prepare a place for us in his father's house that there are many mansions? He's informing you because he wants you to set your heart towards those things so that you will not be carried away by the temporal nature of things that exist on this earth. And anyone who takes a stand for God in obedience has rewards, both here and in heaven. God is obligated to stand with those that stand for him. And that's the truth. And we see here in verse 17 that God gave them what? Understanding and knowledge and skill in all learning. This is very different from the things that Nebuchadnezzar expected. This is the one that God has now invested in. And we learn that immediately after this, the three of them were made captains of provinces. Daniel was the one that chose to remain at the king's gate. They got promoted simply because they took a stand for God. And God blessed Daniel with the gifts to interpret dreams and visions. There are rewards for obedience. There are rewards for obedience. And that's the reason why we are encouraged to obey God. To obey God. But it will be impossible for you to obey God if you don't first deal with some of these principles. Not every situation that you face when it comes to obedience of God, not every situation will be simple. You will need his wisdom to navigate some situations. You need to hold on to God by faith in some situations. You need to make sure that God helps you deal with your character so that you don't use some things to spoil some things. 
There are people that have completely destroyed their reputation before some men because of character. And they are Christians. And they are speaking in tongues. That is not the kind of leadership or example that Jesus expects us to set. God expects us to stand for him and obey him. But you have to first grasp these things that we have discussed. When you're thinking of obedience in God or to God on any issue, you have to know where you're coming from. You have to have understanding of who you are in Christ. Why that thing matters. So that conviction can be produced in your life. Because some people believe God, but they are not convicted. So when they go through small trials in their walk of obedience, they fall away quickly. And God expects us to continually stand for him. Let's rise on our feet.